are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Welcome to A Healthier View. I am Beth, along with my friend, Jennifer Netherby. She's filling in for Dr. Clithrow today. And, you know, we're both health and wellness professionals. And let me tell you, we truly love what we do. And we love educating people on ways to improve their health. So I'm going to jump right in. And I want to introduce Dr. Bunsen. You know, he has really paved the way of functional medicine and a healthy way of looking at our behaviors as it pertains to wellness, using food as medicine, and as a preventative tool for health, and honestly, so much more. Um, Dr. Bunsen is board certified in family medicine with clinical experience with working with individuals with a wide variety of illnesses. Dr. Bunsen also received training through the Institute for Functional Medicine and is a member of the American Academy of Family Physicians. American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and the Institute for Functional Medicine. Holy moly, that was really impressive. Dr. Benson, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Hey, it's, uh, it's great to be with you both. So I'll jump in with the first question today. And um, Dr. Benson, I'd, I'm really interested to learn first how you got in to medicine, like what drew you to it and what led you to functional medicine specifically. And I'm hoping you can also tell our audience a little bit about what functional medicine is if they're not, in case they're not familiar. Yeah, of course. Um, my beginnings, uh, my relationship with medicine actually started quite a few years ago. When I was a child, I had one of my first memorable experiences with medicine and it was a negative one. I was, uh, I was confused and hurt. I was about 10 or 12 years old at the time and had some stomach issues, you know, so without getting into too much detail, essentially you had some nausea, but couldn't quite figure it out. My mother didn't know what to do. So naturally she brought me to the family doctor we had at the time, had a very quick appointment. So as many of you are familiar, appointments for a long time are very quick uh, to the point, And a lot of times it's missing context, you know, and I, even at a young age, realized that you just went through a very quick uh, couple of questions, poked and prodded a few times, and then quickly prescribed the medicine to suppress my symptoms and didn't want to even figure out, or it appeared that way, didn't want to figure out or solve my problem. And so I had an impression that all the doctors had amazing tricks up their sleeves to fix all the problems at a young age. And I quickly realized we have a dysfunctional system but we also have a very complex array of problems that they're not easy to solve. So it wasn't anybody's fault, really. It was just that I, 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 I saw this uh, need for improvement. So either, even though I didn't want to be a doctor at the time, I was kind of just feeling, boy, that didn't go so well. And on my own, I figured out my problem it was actually I had a little bit of anxiety. You know, nobody really asked questions like that. And it just had gave me these episodes. And so... Um, long story short, in college, I looked into this, this field and decided to go for it. And one of my major drivers was this memory and 
others like that, that I thought, I, well, I want to be an advocate for change. I want to do better than I want to go above and beyond and try to learn other things to do a better job to solve these problems, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's exactly what I did right out of school, went into medical school. And during medical school, essentially, I spent a lot of time learning on the subject of lifestyle medicine, you know, lifestyle changes and how they influence. I did, I read a lot of articles. I did a lot of things like that. Eventually did residency and, and during all this time was uh, clearly had a plan to do something like I'm doing right now. And it's really a, a pleasure that I can be working in this space now looked at i looked at the functional medicine crowd now this is kind of a a group that was started by a number of individuals that were recognizing these same things that i was at at my early age and saw some of the evidence on genetics on environmental factors and lifestyle changes and how they influence our health and that the traditional medicine is, is not really taking advantage of that research as much as it could. And so they developed a structure to try to teach physicians how to ask questions, you know, how to gather that information so we can get into the, basically the root cause of problems more. Essentially doctors want to do that a lot of times, but we don't have the time. uh, We don't have the skills. We don't have that familiarity with some of that research to really know how to identify that better. So functional medicine is doing a better job at finding the root cause, and that often takes more time with patients, and also having a wider array of tools to test, to implement strategies that are uh, on purpose supposed to be lower risk with a better outcome. And that's what all doctors want to do anyway. But this is a, So functional medicine essentially, to me, is describing being a physician and doing a better job with having those tools at your disposal. And so it really struck a chord with me with this group and uh, functional medicine is an important structure of ideas and support for uh, practitioners. However, I will interject here. If you're looking for a functional medicine doctor or a practitioner, so functional medicine or functional uh, that's this space can be uh, learned and adopted by a range of practitioners, you know, some non-professionals, right, as well as some doctors. So you want to be careful because there's no regulation. So this good idea can be agreed upon by someone, but they may also be treating with things that are less proven or might be even harmful. So you, you still have to do your research on individuals, but the concept of functional medicine is a good one, and I certainly adopted it early on. Uh, in that research, that, that's really interesting. Um, well, first, I mean, it sounds like it's almost a more holistic approach. Would you say that? Yeah, that's a great term to describe it, holistic. It, some people actually use the term integrative because that's part of it, you know, where you might utilize other non-traditional strategies that are still have some support, supportive evidence to use. And um, But yeah, the general concept, it's holistic. It's trying to do uh, look at the whole person. Another way to look at it is medicine in its traditional format is really more focused on the disease. And this is historical. The reason is because we didn't really understand what diseases are. So the first step was to actually learn how to name them. So we were really good at naming them. We have these fancy words for these diseases. And even the drug companies are getting in the involved in helping form a name of a disease, so there's a very specific drug that'll go with it. 
the problem is we end up losing focus on how all these things are related and how one person may be having multiple factors, you know, producing certain symptoms in a format and you don't just treat a condition or diagnosis with a particular treatment individually because a lot of times you have to put it together into you know, a more holistic view. Uh, so long story short, yes, holistic is another way to describe it. Awesome. You know, I'd like to kind of talk about one of my favorite subjects, and that's food. Um, I think everyone has heard that old adage, let food be your medicine. Um, Dr. Benson, you have specialized training and extensive clinical experience prescribing nutrition to treat and possibly even reverse some chronic conditions. So I want to know, what's the secret sauce? I mean, what is your philosophy when it comes to nutrition and eating healthy? Secret sauce. Oh boy. Yeah. That sounds delicious already. But yes. <laughs> so food is, is a huge factor in everybody's health. The part that's, but well, this can get kind of complicated because there's a lot of knowns and a lot of unknowns with nutrition and our health and everything. So if I were to just kind of average it out into a, a, a philosophy, a theme here that will generally provide great results for people to start with, it's to eat a high quality diet. Okay, that still seems kind of generic, right? So high quality uh, can be described, well, first of all, let's talk about what our bodies need really briefly. I don't wanna uh, belabor this, but our bodies need nutrition, right? So we need a variety of nutrients ranging from you know vitamins, minerals, all the way over to the macronutrients, right? The proteins and uh, various amino acids that go to that certain types of fats. All these are basically building blocks and tools to for the cells to function normally and efficiently in the organs as well. So our body needs all of these. So think of them like check boxes. Okay, you check off vitamin A, you check off protein and so on. You wanna check them all off in, in optimal ranges. But you also, the other goal is to not overeat on calories because that can shift your metabolism you may you know, have too much body fat. You, you don't want to undereat either, right? So how do you fit into that space where you get the most of these nutrients that our cells need, but not stray with calories? And what ends up happening is if you could, it's actually the quality diet. Now quality diet means more nutrients per bite, right? So you're checking off more of those requirements in a smaller space. So you have a meal that'll check more of those boxes. It's generally going to be a higher quality meal. What does that look like? It's going to be a whole food diet, generally speaking, right? So foods that have not been processed, just an, you know, think about how foods can be processed. They are either having part of the the, the nutrients stripped away from it to produce something that might even taste better or uh, have a different consistency or be easier to package and store. So a lot of these changes happen over the years for convenience, for flavor, and we lost the nutrition. Either it's taken out directly or it's it's destroyed in the processing process. So if you just look at the whole food, lower processing kind of an aspect, and a lot of it's going to be in the produce aisle. You look at a food that if it looks just like it came from the tree or ground, and we didn't really do a whole lot to it. It just came right to your your hands and you can go, you know, chop it up, 
how you want at home. Essentially, you're eating a whole food diet. And so on, in all the food categories, we want to focus on that. And you'll end up eating a more nutrient-dense diet, and that generally leads to improved health because the body has what it needs, you know, more hours mm -hmm. of the day and more consistently. I'm curious, when, when people are going through medical school, are they getting education in nutrition or is that something that is really, you know, one of the reasons maybe you got into functional medicine or something that it be has become more specialized? Yeah, medical school at the time when I went to school, it, it was kind of disappointing. I, I kind of went into it thinking that, again, similar to walking into the doctor's office for a stomach problem, okay, they, they're going to know everything and they have all the answers. Yeah, there's a lot of gaps missing. And you know, I learned during that process why the school system and the classes and the education is what it is. And there's a whole history on medicine. And so I don't feel any animosity or anything, but I realized mm -hmm. I had to fill the gap. You know, mm -hmm. there's really on average, at least at the time, there is zero or very, very minimal education on nutrition generally. In fact, I, I recall signing up for a class in med school that was called nutrition thinking, oh good, I found it. This is gonna at least get me started, give me some, some kind of advice here. And it was on tube feeds for the ICU patient, right? It's for the critically ill patient, very surface level adjustments with macronutrients and really didn't get into the depth that I was thinking about for prevention. I was really thinking, well, I wanna prevent disease. And it, we didn't have time for that. It was all just how to manage a patient in the hospital. And this is kind of an example of what classes are gonna teach in that scenario. And, but here's the good news. The good news is since then, more schools are adapting that. There's more people like us that are recognizing this is an important subject and they're taking roles at, either as a professor or running a department in some of these schools uh, that uh, is offering more education on this subject. And so it, it's promising. It's just a slowly moving thing and most schools still don't really offer it. And so it's uh, disappointing. There's even a residency just dedicated to this is the specialty, and that's kind of an, uh, a nice addition. So since I've graduated, that's uh, evolved to, uh, to, to be available for, for new and upcoming doctors. So, and I think new doctors are smart. They're, they're being educated about this before even getting to med school. They're already thinking like I had, I was an oddball, you know, in my uh, class, but there's a more and more uh, that are already thinking of this and they'll be great doctors and have this point of view to help people better later. So um, you kind of have to, I had to educate myself, but uh, the formal education, going to a school that offers it is going to be a great option for doctors. Well, um, I think everyone, or at least most people think of a diet as just a way to lose weight and not necessarily a lifestyle. And I, um, I think we all know that it can be difficult to change habits for sure, especially when it comes to food. Um, and just add on that it can be confusing at best. I mean, we read every day about a different diet that's going to change the world. I mean, there's the Atkins diet, the Atkins diet that was so popular a few years back, the paleo diet, the Mediterranean diet, the vegan diets. And I even read an article from um, health and wellness expert Ben Greenfield where he mentioned a carnivore diet as a healthy option. But in your opinion, does a one diet approach apply to everyone? 
That's a tough question. It's actually mostly yes, but no. I mean, meaning the general concepts that you can glean from the higher quality studies and observations of long-living, healthy populations and what's in common with them and those kinds of factors, and down to the very uh, small-scale cellular studies, you know, the in vitro studies and things like that. The average here is that there's a general common theme here where you, you do have to follow certain principles for quality nutrition and so on. However, as we can see with various populations and styles of eating, there are some differences and yet they can also live a long life and have a high quality diet. So I think there's more to be learned about these. And this is this kind of is why we see this variable wide range, you know, from vegan to carnivore and everything in between, and how some studies will support some aspects of that. But the context is missing and it's so complicated it's hard to you know draw conclusions on some of this, but it's certainly not going to be those extremes uh, for most people. But the general thing we've learned is that certain foods are in common with these long-living populations and healthy healthy individuals. From my observations as well, adding to this, mostly eating plants helps, right? So it's it's a bulk, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be exclusive like in a vegan diet. But I've learned that that is the the shift into that helps you achieve a wider variety of high-quality nutrient sources. And that's why it ends up being a common theme with a lot of these healthy individuals and populations. So we have to keep that in mind. But, you know, beyond that, there's still, you know, things we need to figure out. And there's personalization that really comes into the picture here. Some people can't tolerate certain foods. Some people can't tolerate certain volumes of foods. And uh, so we, that's where sometimes it's really, really important to work with somebody that can help get the best profile of foods for a certain individual. But generally, yeah, most of, like I said, the diets look very similar when I give them out to people to start. And then we personalize maybe 20% of that to tweak it for their specific needs. I don't know if that helps, but, or confuses you more. (laughs) No, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So, so I hear you saying, uh, we have to eat more plants for the most part. Um, and that seems to be one of, one of the challenges when people are changing their diet is getting in maybe plants they're not used to, but even just changing what they're eating is so challenging. Is there, is there a reason for that? Is there something that we, we can learn or that can help us to to make those changes? There really is a a number of reasons why it's difficult. The the first one being very physiological, you know, in our our brain stems, our brains are structured to react to foods and not just any food, Hmm. but higher calorie foods, higher sugar foods, higher glycemic foods, foods that cause that high absorption very quickly at a high calorie will actually tap on the brainstem essentially and tell the brain to remember that. And the reason is, is for survival. Mm-hmm. You know, if we were in more historical times surviving from, you know, traveling and eating whatever we could find essentially, when we had a big meal 
and uh, or we found a berry bush or a fruit or a root and we had a, a meal. It stimulated that part of the brain to tell us to keep looking for that. So we were driven to survive. The problem with that is, you know, if we have abundance and we don't need to wander around and work all day long to try to eat like most of the animals out there, right? We have a problem at our hands. We're not going to change our physiology or our anatomy here. It's still going to have that same response. And so we become addicted to foods because of that overstimulation. And the more processed the food is, essentially, the higher the calorie, the more we overeat. It'll overstimulate that. It's the same thing that happens with drugs. You know, we get addicted to things. And so when we want to change our diet, we have to fight against that evolution. We've been eating a certain way, and a lot of those foods are probably uh, more addictive and stimulated that pattern, and it's going to be a hard thing to break. It's not impossible to break, and this is what I work through with a lot of patients. You can still do it, and it's really great when you look, you know, after a month or two of really working on that. It's much easier after you get through a certain phase there, but you're fighting against this uh, innate drive, right? That's always going to be there. And you got to be, be aware of that. Related to that, by the way, is that we treat ourselves with food as a habit. Yeah. You may not even realize it because it happens every day. We eat multiple times mm -hmm. a day, but the choices in which foods you tend to be gravitating to may make you feel differently, which is kind of what happens with certain foods. They'll make you feel more comfortable. They essentially can treat your depression, anxiety, and stress in a way. And so when we eat comfort food and those kinds of foods and overeat, it can be a even harder thing to break because you, you, what if you just took those things away? You'd be stressed out and anxious and depressed all the time. And so mm -hmm. it's, you know, you're always going to fall back into what has worked for you, whether you realize there's a connection with that being your medicine or not. So we don't want to treat ourselves with food. We want to just eat you know, good nutrition for our general health and more healthily, you know, treat our psychological, emotional uh, difficulties. And then we all have them and some are much more severe. You can see why people tend to become overweight and even obese with that as a background. It's a very common theme. And so that that's an important context. We have to realize that that's uh, needs to be worked through in order to make it easier to transition your diet too, right? So we, we don't just pull the rug from underneath you and you have no support system and no strategy to help you with those, uh, you know, the psychological aspect. The, there's another piece here that that uh, is related. It's the convenience. It's the work involved, right? I mean, a lot of the things that I teach and try to improve the quality of your diet, it means you have to kind of get rid of some of the convenient foods and the things that are very quick and easy and you may have to do a little bit of food prep at home or, or you know, there's some these days there's actually some uh, if you can pay a little more, there's ways you can still get some high quality, convenient food. But generally speaking, it takes work. And so, you know, learning how to do that more efficiently and to get the, the most quality out of your work to, to improve your your food intake. Um, you do have to put a little time and possibly money into that project. And so that's a little bit of a barrier for some as well. Though I do hear what you're saying there that is, is that it's, it's not necessarily a personal failure. It, it's really part of this is how we're designed and part of it is finding the right support. 
You got it. That uh, you nailed it. It we shouldn't feel terrible about struggling with this because it's just going to happen to all of us. And even some of us, myself included, and some of my best patients, those struggles don't go away completely. They're just very good at managing it. They have the support group. They have the right tips and tricks that really help them through. And they're managing and they do an excellent job, even though they have those still still those uh, tendencies and, and weaknesses. And uh, so there is a, you know, for a lot of people learning about that, it's a light at the end of the tunnel and they can see them themselves through. You know, it's so funny you had said um, kind of that reward system in our brain. And for me, I know if I have a little bit of sugar, it's like the floodgates have opened and I just want more and more and more. So I really, for me, I just kind of have to really stay away from that. But um, one of my favorite quotes when it comes to our health is test, don't guess. Um, and a little background on me, a few years back, I was taking a lot of vitamin D and when I had my um, levels tested, they were really high, which can be harmful to your health as well. So Dr. Bunsen, I know you recommend testing as an important step. Um, what are comprehensive tests? Um, what are the ones that you recommend to your patients and why is this an important step? Yeah, it, that is a very good point. The tests don't guess, really important. and. It, especially because these days it's the wild west out there. You've got all sorts of supplements. You can really tr do a lot of things on your own without regulation. And really, you know, you really need someone to guide you through that because there's some dangerous things that can happen. I see it all the time. Um, but a lot of the testing that I do is, you know, some of the tests that are applicable to most patients, I'll kind of bring up now that are really a good idea for most people. One of them is in the cardiometabolic space, right? Some of these may be familiar to you already. Insulin, blood sugar, uh, hemoglobin A1C, your cholesterol panel. You know, those are going to be basic, and most doctors are ordering these. But I like to do a deeper dive. And some doctors are on top of this because it's kind of more recent research. It's kind of getting older, though, than what more you realize. It. I, I realize some of this information is still... Uh, from 10, 20 years ago that we started learning that there are other markers that help us predict future cardiac, you know, events, you know, strokes and heart attacks as well. And it's these markers looking at the LDL particle number, looking at uh, oxidized LDL and some other unique markers that really narrow it down. And the reason why this kind of a panel is important is because, uh, Traditionally, it's just been looking at an LDL, you know, a total cholesterol, triglycerides. And when we look at the evidence here, about half of those that have heart attacks and strokes had a normal cholesterol. So if we're just screening for that, we get this false sense of security, we may be missing things. Now, genetically and with your lifestyle and everything, you may not realize that you need to really step it up. And, and compensate for those weaknesses. And you may not pick it up unless you look at those other markers. So getting a comprehensive, deeper dive on your cholesterol and blood sugar status, your, your metabolism there is an important panel. I have that on, I, I order that on almost everybody, mm -hmm. particularly if they're over 40 and so on. You know, there's other tests that are really important to do that I recommend everybody too. And it's, you know, any kind of panel that includes a lot of vitamins, minerals, nutrients, anything that's food related, help us really 
make tweaks and adjustments in people's diet. So there's a lab I use that they have a great comprehensive panel, uh, antioxidants to omega-3 to amino acids to all the you know, many of the vitamins and minerals all in one. So you see, you see it all in one snapshot in context. And that'll help us really go that next level. You can look at the plates and look at the food and look at the someone's diet and have a pretty good idea. Looks like it should be healthy. Everything should check out. But then these tests will really uh, confirm that. And I've learned over, over time that I'm pretty good at predicting, you know, when I when somebody's going to have a pretty good panel based on what they've been doing. But I always order it because I'm frequently surprised. And sometimes because there's changes right. in genetics, there's changes in absorption that we can pick up on. And sometimes it's just communication, right? Somebody's, you know, thought they were eating some things more frequently and realized we could probably increase it. Like maybe we need more citrus fruits or whatever. So that'll really optimize the diet, make it a, a more structured, uh, objective view on things uh, and, and personalized because not everybody's going to have the same results, even with the same types of foods they're eating. So those are some examples. Another one really quickly is the uh, is epigenetic testing. You know, that is a really, you know, universal type of test anybody can get and will measure the rate of aging you know, compared to the average person. So what's great about the epigenetic space oh, wow. is this technology is looking at epigenetics and how they influence genes, right? So epigenetics is essentially the, the little fingers on genes that interact with the environment and our lifestyle, right? So we change our lifestyle and our environment and it'll tell the gene to turn on or turn off. It might be a bad gene or a good so gene. we can affect it? We actually can influence the expression of our genes and that translates to better health outcomes or negative health outcomes and everything. So that's, an, that's a growing space and there's actually testing to help us. And so the tests, they average those results into a easy to, the question that people really are answering is, am I doing enough? You know, am mm -hmm. I aging faster or slower than yeah. average when, when you add those together? So those are, uh, there's some really interesting tests out there. That's just kind of a, a sampling of some of the ones I, I order with my patients. Wow. So, I mean, if you, you know, when you're working with your patients or just in general, like what, what three things, you know, for health are you like really focused on if, if, if you could break it down to just three. <laughs> I know I, I could easily go through a hundred and that may be just with diet alone, let alone the other category. So what I, I thought about this kind of a thing, what, what kind of advice would I give you know, the listeners here. And I wanted to think of th three simple things here so that everybody could adapt and work on and it's not too complicated. So the first one I kind of brought it up uh, before, it would be uh, a, a, a whole food diet, right? So the simplification of removing some of the processed foods out of your diet, increasing more of the whole uh, foods. And also think about clean you know we're thinking about are they do they have less contamination you know so looking at organic foods is is another aspect that you can kind of work on as well but more whole foods in your routine can make a huge difference just by shifting through the second thing i would say would be color and again just a simple way to approach this concept of getting variety and more 
concentrated foods. So if you look at your plate, you know, or you look at your day and you look at how many types of colors and how many colorful foods you may be eating, you, you can quickly realize that, you know, there are going to be some plates that are kind of dull, that are going to be white and brown and where's the color. But if you don't think about that, you may not be inspired to do that. So try to get the array of colors in your day and look at those meals that you need the most work and try to interject them, even if it's just thrown on the side or you're planning meals that are going to use more of those foods. A lot of those are going to be obviously fruits and vegetables, right? And so that'll help you get that variety as well as quality will go up automatically by trying to think about getting that array of color. I'll give you another bit of advice here too that's non-food related uh, because there are other important things to go over. The most common thing I've run into uh, these days uh, besides diet is our sedentary behavior. And so, yeah. you know, look at us right now. We're all, you know, are we walking? No, we're sitting. Except for me, I'm standing. You probably didn't notice that, but I'm on <laughs> got a standing desk and it keeps my legs moving a little bit more. We don't move enough. And, you know, we, most of us realize this and it's so hard. We're stuck on these computers. So the goal is to move. Now you don't have to be in a gym membership to get a decent amount of benefit from moving. Just taking breaks every hour or even half an hour if you can, walk around for two, three minutes, go up and down stairs, you know, do some squats, move around, have a standing desk or even a treadmill desk, or you can go to any length you want to, but we have to break up this long, prolonged sitting in our day so be creative in your particular circumstance and try to just move more. You know, you don't have to run marathons to get some benefit from that. So that's a simple thing you can just start doing today right away. I love those. Those are so um, things that we can all do. I love it. Yeah. And try to keep it basic. Right. So everybody applies to everybody. Yeah, and the thing that Jennifer and I, um, the topics that we talk mostly with our clients about, we call them the four pillars of health, and that's sleep, movement, nutrition, and stress management. So I, I just love this, and I that this has been such a great conversation. I'm like a sponge with everything you're saying, and I, I mean, I think it's amazing to work in the wellness space and spread the word of good health and talk about being proactive instead of reactive when it comes to our well-being and, and really truly be the change. So my last question to you um, is, do you think it's good to trust information gathering on your own regarding your health? Like we've all heard of Dr. Google or, or do you think <laughs> it's best to work with a doctor like yourself? I do. I'm a little biased, but to be honest, if, if anybody who goes on Google, realizes there's a wide range of answers and it's biased as well. Whatever comes up first in a search engine, whoever's going to pay more money for ads, and there's no regulation on the advice and uh, that you may get and the products that you find. So it's, like I said before, it's the wild west and to be safe and to get better, more effectiveness, at, you know, as far as your strategy, you really, it's best to work with someone that kind of has that background and, and can walk you through and give you the thumbs up, thumbs down on what your ideas are. And, and, and you know, uh, I do that. And there are many uh, doctors like myself that are trying to do that better. So it's best. Some conditions 
are very sensitive. You can't just change your diet in dramatic ways or take a supplement. It could be harmful, like kidney disease, liver disease, diabetes. There's a long list. So you you want to have a strategy that really fits your circumstances and, and is safe. And so, yeah, to answer your question, best to, to work with somebody. I'd imagine, too, that, that just reading the research, that if you're someone that hasn't studied to understand some of the studies that come out that you really can't understand it unless you have a more depth of um, just study in that area. It can be quite confusing, you know, even for, you know, practitioners like myself, I mean, there's still some unknowns and, you know, room for interpretation from studies. And so, you know, to have a hundred percent confidence in doing something without any kind of team to kind of, discuss and decide together is just kind of a little more scary and and you, and you got to be careful but um the good news the good news is that uh there's a lot of potential i mean with all the information we do have and the available tools we have we could if, if you do it wisely and you kind of utilize these uh, wisely and organize to personalize it you can get an amazing outcome and sometimes with you know less effort than you would imagine. And I think a lot of people are worried uh, that it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to be scary, all these things. It's not as bad as you think, you know, just, just coming from working with a lot of patients. It doesn't take long to, to get closer to those goals that you're looking for. Well, thanks so much for um, sharing this all. And um, it's been really helpful. And I, I think that our audience, our listeners will get a lot out of it. It was a pleasure. And uh, um, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you both so much for helping me out today. Um, Jennifer, Dr. Clitheroe is so busy this past year. Because as you know, and I told you, he's been acting as the Austin AMA president. So his time is precious and getting any minute with him is like, um, you know, again, precious. So trust me, I will be asking you back to help me out with more episodes to come. Everyone stay with us. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you take some valuable information from the conversation and can apply it to your life in one way or another, or maybe even someone close to you. You know, I have really missed everyone uh, these past few months, but life gets in the way of being able to do these podcasts sometimes. But 2023 is promising to be an exciting year. Okay, guys, as we close out this episode, remember, we are syndicated, so this show will not only be on the Up To Me radio channel, but also on the following apps, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. Scott and I will see you next time around. Until then, have a healthy day. 